Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for June 9th, 2021. And I probably sound a little bit different. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know why. I'm in Los Angeles for the week for the day job. So I don't exactly have um, the best equipment with me. I didn't even really have time to get my usual traveling equipment ready. Um, so I apologize if this doesn't sound as good as it usually does. Um, but at least it's sort of a smaller week. We didn't get the Marvel books as of 1130 on Tuesday night when we're recording this. Um, so we're not going to be able to talk about any Marvel books. And as always, the DC spotlight came out Tuesday morning in depth with spoilers talking about DC books. There were some great DC books this week. Uh, Batman Urban Legends was especially good as was Justice League Last Ride from Chip Zdarsky and uh, Miguel Mendoca. They're both very, very much worth your time. Um, Rorschach was also very good. Did you did you get a chance to read any DC books, Jay? Yeah, I was reading the Joker and the Justice League before we got back oh, on, yeah. so yep. yeah, it was good. Yeah, Joker was good. Joker was good as well. So anyway, uh, if you guys wanna check out the DC Spotlight, uh, it's on YouTube, the Comic Boom YouTube channel, or on uh, any podcast platform where uh, you find the comic source. So uh, that being said, uh, we, we only have six books to talk about uh, because like I said, there's not a whole lot this week um, because we don't have Marvel. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and dive right in. And uh, I, think, I think the first book we'll talk about is one Jay has been waiting for for a very, very long time. It's Ant number 12 from Eric Larson. I've never read any of Ant. I'd, when I saw Ant number 12, I just thought, okay, it's, it's one of those creators who wants to start a story kind of in the middle. Uh, you know, I think we saw Robert Kirkman do that before. The Image guys did it way back in the day when most of their books were right around issue 10. They all came out with an issue 25, like looking into the future. So I kind of thought that it was one of these things. I didn't realize that there was actually an ant one through 11 and it's been, how long did you say Jay? About 14 years. 14 years. So uh, break it down for us, man. Was it worth the wait? The problem with ant is, is like um, they had different publishers doing it. And the guy that created it is Mario Gully. Many had different writers take over the character for over the years. So there was so many plot holes and twists and it never really filled the holes. So I was looking forward to this so that they can finally, you know, finish the story and, you know, kind of close all those loopholes. Eric Larson did that, but I feel like the artwork was kind of like rushed because it wasn't his best work, I guess. It was, I, I don't know. It, it seemed rushed. They were just trying to close the gaps. But what I did like, though, was if you go to the back of the story that he explains um, the whole story of what happened at over the years and why it took forever to get to this point. But as I guess he was trying to work with Mario to get the character to uh, a point, but he kept kind of like playing around with, you know, the timeline and the story and the script. So he finally bought the character, Eric Larson, so he can, you know, kind of do this. And I think now that we kind of finished this storyline, uh, I think if you look in the previews for uh, this month, they're going to start over with Ant number one and Eric Larson is starting the story over, you know, from number one. Now that it's his, he's going to just take it over. 
So yeah, I guess it was kind of worth the wait, but you're kind of like, that's it. It's like, uh, since the article was not what you're used to, because if you look at the previous issues from 14 years ago, the article was really good. And the story, like I said, was kind of a lot of holes. I guess it filled it up. But no, I, I just kind of like, okay, it's over. Let's, I, I think that's what I was trying to do. I was just trying to finish the story, finish all the gaps, finish you know, what the mystery with her memory was, and now let's start over and let's start fresh. Did Eric Larson do the, do the art for the first 11 issue? Uh, for uh, the, for the number one coming out, the reselling, yeah, because I guess he bought the rights to the character. It's his no, but, now. Yeah, but you said the the artwork in Ant One through Eleven was really good. Oh, it was different uh, artists. It, it wasn't. It wasn't all. It was different uh, writers and different artists. And I think Mark Mario pretty much controlled it for a long time. But this yeah. this is baby. But no, and that, what what I got in this artwork was not not what I expected. And this is Eric Larson art in in Ant Number Twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have noticed that his art, I mean, I, I don't think his art was really clean to begin with, even, you know, at his best, probably his best work was probably when he was on Amazing Spider-Man. Um, but I've noticed that he he's kind of taken that John Romita Jr. approach where his his art has gotten more blocky over time and not as detailed. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, you would think it's so strange to hear, okay, here's a book that We've been waiting 14 years to come out, and the artwork's rushed. You couldn't, you could draw a page a year or two pages a year, and you'd be done. Like, I mean, I'm sure obviously he didn't, he didn't have it until you know recently. But, but yeah, you're probably right. He probably thought, you know what, I'm gonna put this out and just finish the story. And why should I spend a lot of time on it? Because I'm gonna, you know, reboot the character and take in the whole new direction. So. I know nothing about Ant, um, and you almost got me to read this because you when you mentioned it last time. Um, oh yeah. So I I'll have to I may have to go try to track down those original eleven issues. Um, uh, like I said, if you look in the back, it shows all the it shows you all the like the first cover and you know uh, you know over the years. If you look at the cover, that's what you guys thought the artwork. It was great. The covers were phenomenal. Are they are they expensive? No, I've I don't think so. Even, I've never even heard of the character. Oh, it's just one of those characters that was kind of like, you know, it wasn't, if you knew it, if you read Image, you knew who she was, I guess. But if, if not, you just really didn't care. You know, it wasn't like a, you know. Is she like a tick ripoff? What's that now? Is she like a tick ripoff? I, I don't like, know where they were getting the idea, but they never, the problem I think with the character was there were so many loopholes in the story. It's like every time they try to like have a, someone tell the story, like a new a writer, they wouldn't fill the gaps of the previous story. They just kind of yeah, like, yeah, it'd just be a, a new, you're like, well, what's going on? Because they never explained how she got the costume, who did it, what was going on, why she had a memory loss. And they just avoided it and added like a villain and like, okay, well, what's going on with the other one? And the villain disappeared and you got this, you're like, okay. And they, well, they yeah, were. That's what happens because a writer starts to tell the story they want to tell and then they leave the book and another writer comes on. No, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to tell this story. So yeah, I can see how it could jump around and be kind of funky, so. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to talk about an Aftershock book first. You want to talk about a, a bit of a delay. So this this was, I think, a couple of years, Baby Teeth 18. Uh, so last month we got Baby Teeth 17, and that was the first time we had any uh, Baby Teeth issues. And like I said, about two years, I think, since 2018. So I'm not sure what the delay was. I heard rumors about you know friction between Donny Cates and Aftershock. I have no idea if that's true. Um, but regardless, Baby Teeth is back. Uh, second issue since it's come back. It is written by Donnie Cates. Gary Brown is the artist. 
Mark Englert is the colorist and Taylor Esposito handled the letters. Um, and we got a huge revelation. Like we had to wait a long time, but, and I won't say it was worth it because this is a great story and I would, did not want to have waited this long. And I also feel like we've lost some momentum because I feel like a lot of people were on board for this and we're talking about baby teeth before it took that hiatus. But we found out at the end of issue 17, it was a big bombshell. So the, if you're not aware of the story, basically this, it's kind of like a Rosemary's Baby, but like action Indiana Jones style Rosemary's Baby. This girl, Sadie gets knocked up by the devil and she gives birth to the Antichrist. He has these powers, like at the moment he's born, there's a big earthquake whatever. And then when she finds out, because he grows up really fast and he has, he has other powers and whatnot, she finds out there's like demons after him. Her, she finds out her mother was part of a cult called The Way. And they are this like holy sort of cult where they're trying to destroy Satan, um, but they're extreme and they're weird and they don't have the best interest of Sadie at heart either. So anyway, what happens is this big adventure. Satan comes after her, trying to get the baby. She's trying to save them. Um, her son escapes to hell of all places with her, with Sadie's older sister, and her sister Heather protects the baby in this like hellscape for many years. And then they eventually come back to Earth, but it's a an Earth where like the apocalypse. Thing, it's like Revelations, right? Where the world's coming to an end and whatnot. So that's kind of what's going on. Well. We thought Sadie's mother had been killed when Sadie and her son escaped from the way compound they were in. There was a big explosion. They're trying to get the get get Sadie's son. They escaped and they thought in the explosion her mother died. But it turns out no. And the mother shows up at the doorstep of the house, the safe house that they're staying at, last issue, and she drops the bombshell that Sadie was not the only one. This isn't like Rosemary's baby in the sense that. Satan went around and impregnated one woman to have his son on earth to bring about the end times. No, he didn't bother to just do one. He, he impregnated hundreds, hundreds of women. So it's not an antichrist. It's an army of antichrist. And that's the bombshell at, in the, on the last page of issue 17. So with issue 18 picks up with the family trying to figure out, okay, well, now what the heck do we do? We have to face an army of Antichrist. How are we going to save our, how are we going to save Sadie's son? How are we going to fight an army of Antichrist? What can we do? What's the devil's end game? So it, it's very, like I said, action-packed. It's very Indiana Jones-esque. Um, I guess Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, you talk about melting faces and flames and whatnot um, and, and religion. But the other part of it, it is emotional because it is about family. It is about family that's trying to protect their, you know, this innocent child that that has the powers of the Antichrist, but doesn't, it didn't choose to have that, right? And it's about the relationship between Sadie and her sister Heather. Her sister Heather, you know, she went to to hell to protect her nephew, and aged many many years. She like time passed faster in that hellscape, and she she's a she's like in her fifties now. And she should be in her 20s. And she's given up so much for this little boy, uh, her nephew. And, and so it's about the relationship between Sadie and her sister, Heather, and the relationship they had with their father, who has already lost his life in trying to protect his grandson, 
and about their relationship with their estranged mother who they had who they thought had died many years ago and then they thought had died again recently when the way compound exploded and now she's coming back and she's saying hey i i understand that this organization i was a part of way uh we didn't do things the right way and i'm just i'm here for you uh we need to protect this little boy we need to stop satan and so uh, as much as it's about action, it's also about family and relationships. And Donnie Cates does that really well. I don't think he gets uh, he gets enough credit for uh, the way he draws character or uh, uh, the way he portrays characterization and relationships and the friction. You know, we all know that families aren't perfect, and you don't always get along, and you see things differently, and. And it's it, it's kind of interesting because your family is your family, and you and you love them, and you have those ties that are stronger than friendship. But when you when you have a friendship, you you gravitate toward gravitate towards people that have the same beliefs and like the same things as you. So you find yourself agreeing. When you, when it's your family, you don't have any choice but to have a connection to them. But you can have completely different belief systems, and so and, and I'm, there's plenty of people out there that can attest. You know, they're estranged from their family or some family members may be estranged from the family because they couldn't get over those differences. So that's sort of what we're seeing here. Sadie's family is sort of broken in a way, but they're coming together uh, to try to fight the battle in these end times. So I really, really like it. Um, Gary Brown's art, you know, from the start has been pitch perfect for the series for what the story Donnie Cates is trying to tell. It's not a real clean style, but again, when you're talking about demons and hellfire and Satan, and end times, I don't think you want really clean art. It would it would come across as plastic and fake uh, feeling in, in my mind. So um, it's another home run from Aftershock. I'm so glad it's back. I think there's probably two or three issues left and I'm really curious to see how it all winds winds down. So, uh, and as we, as we always do, we're singing the praises of Aftershock because they're just such a great publisher. In my mind, they're the best publisher of the year, this year. Uh, they've been killing it in 2021. Uh, so the reason I'm saying that is because the next book we're going to talk about, Maniac of New York, number five, End of the Line, uh, written by Elliot Kalin. Andrea Moody handles the art and color. Taylor Esposito handles the letters. And uh, I know you've been digging this book from the start, Jay. Um, so what do you think of uh, what do you think of the end of the the first volume? Well, yeah, it's like uh, when you read it, you're just like, OK, there's still some uh answers that they're, they're, they're not filled but you find out that there is going to be next year they're going to bring out the next series I'm like okay so i don't feel so bad that they didn't fill up a lot of the uh story but it's just uh sad that uh you see the two detectives you know the routes they took you know after the, in the aftermath of the uh the train incident um you almost get some more uh, in, uh information from one of the victims but then you know she's kind of stopped i'm like no because i could have helped out i think <laughs> But yeah, the story is just phenomenal. Um, I like the way it ended. And uh, if you were curious if the Manic was still around, the last panel shows you that no, he's still there. <laughs> and then uh, it's just a fun ride. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad I, uh, I got on it. The, the artwork is phenomenal. I love the artist. Um, but now we've got to look forward to the, to the next uh, volume, which I'm kind of pumped up for. Yeah, I mean, nobody thought that <laughs> Harry the Maniac was actually gone. We've seen this movie before, whether it's Friday the 13th or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or, or uh, Halloween, uh, they always come back. So uh, I do agree, I, you know, knowing this was the last issue and not knowing that 
it, the series had been greenlit for a second volume. Yeah, I kept waiting. We saw, uh, and I think you hinted at it when we talked about issue four. You mentioned that at the Museum of Natural History, there was like a an ancient artifact or fossil or something that has the same designs on it, the same red lines that Harry the maniac has on his hockey mask. And if you remember in issue three, when he was on the train, when the voice overhead said, next stop, blah, 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 street, natural history museum, that's, that's the moment he hesitated. So there's something about that museum that scares him. And we find out there's an artifact there that he has the ties to. And the little girl, um, she noticed that, right? And so I kept waiting to see something about the Natural History Museum in this. I'm like, how, how he's he's only got half the issue left. We haven't gotten there yet. Like, what, what, what's going on? What's going? And then, yeah, it turns out, no, we don't have a resolution. What we have is another five volumes or another five issues coming in a volume two. Uh, Brooklyn is burning is the subtitle for the next uh, the next story arc. So. Much like Jay, I'm super excited that we're getting more of this. You know, we had Elliot Kalen on to talk about it. Uh, it's clear his, his love of New York, his love of slaughtering people, uh, you know, metaphorically in the pages of this book. Um, and the other thing that was interesting about issue five was he went really overt with the political stuff. And he had, he had it was sort of there um, in the subtext and he really brings it to the surface in issue five. So maybe we'll have him back on to talk about the collected edition uh, for volume one right before the second volume starts. So he can tease the second volume and, I, and we, I can ask him. I'm just curious about the timing. Like, did he write issue five or did he change anything in issue five? Like, you know, later, um, because I think when we talked to him, yeah, when I talked to him, the first time and we hadn't had I don't think we'd had the election yet um so I wonder if anything anything that's happened recently kind of informed issue five and he really turned up the volume on the on the political stuff which I thought was great so anyway you're right the art's spectacular great great series um but don't in the interest of full disclosure like don't go into issue five everybody thinking that you're going to get a resolution or it wraps up the story uh, it's very much a, it almost feels like a bridge issue to what comes next. So uh, can't wait, can't wait for that. Uh, all right, next I'm going to talk about an image comic, The Good Asian Number Two. This is written by Pornsik Pichichot. We have art by Alexander uh, Tefengi. The colors are by Lee Luffridge. And I'm trying to find the, it says Powell for the letters, but I don't, looking for the credits. So give me one second here. Yep, there it is. Uh, yeah, Jeff Powell does the letters and the design. So uh, we had Pornsick on to talk about this and it's basically a story set in the 1930s, which if you're not uh, aware, there was uh, something called the Chinese Exclusion Act, which basically, prevented Chinese from coming to America. Like you, you couldn't come here. And there was internment and there was all kinds of just terrible stuff. And, and Asian people that lived here were definitely seen as sort of second-class citizens. It was really bad, especially in San Francisco 
where there was a, a big Chinatown and a big population. So uh, the story stars Hawaiian-born Edison Hark, who's one of the first Chinese-American detectives. Um, but he's he was actually, uh, like I said, born in Hawaii. So he, not that he was any more accepted, but I guess enough to actually become, you know, a police detective. But in Hawaii, where you know that's that's not the mainland. It's not as white. There's you know, indigenous people there and a little more accepted. Um, but he's come back to San Francisco and he's um, he's forced to sort of police his own. So he's got a foot in both worlds, right? He, he's a detective and he works for the man, for lack of a better term. Um, but he's Asian or when, when the terminology they used back then was oriental, which for a long time, that's <laughs> the word they use, but uh, that's not a word that should be used. It's, it's sort of in, orientals like a description you give to an object, like a rug or a piece of furniture, not not a person. Um, but he's not accepted by either. He's got a foot in, in both worlds. He's not affect, you know, accepted by the world of, of the Caucasians because he's Asian, but he's not accepted in the Asian world because he they don't trust him. They, because he's policing them and he's working in their eyes for the man. So he's in a, a real tough spot. But uh, he's come back to do a favor for the oldest son of a guy that uh, that sort of took him in and was in some ways a surrogate father. Um, so his mother was a maid to this very wealthy family in San Francisco. And so he was a, he, he got a lot of privilege because of that, because the, the patriarch of the family was actually in love with his, his mother. Um, and so he, he took advantage of that. Um, and you know, why wouldn't you, but time has passed and he does feel some loyalty, but he has conflicted feelings because he knows his mother was taken advantage of. And there's this mystery of the current maid for this family who's gone missing. And, uh, I don't know, this guy that raised him, this millionaire Mason Carraway, apparently has a thing for Asian maids, um, because he was apparently having a relationship with this, this woman, Ivy as well, who's now gone missing. So he's here and he's in San Francisco. He's trying to solve this mystery, um, all the while dealing with conflicts from the past. And it's all set in the 1930s. So it's very much a, a pulp noir detective story. And if you didn't hear my uh, interview with Pornsick, I really uh, encourage you to go check it out because we dive into the subtext of it with all the politics uh, of race and whatnot in that era. But also just how it's very much a, an homage to not not really the movies or films of the time or serials, but more the the pulp novels of the time. And uh, and Pornsuk does a great job of making it feel very authentic. And the art by Alexander Tefenmi is, is awesome. It is so cool. And they have this trick they do where they highlight certain items. Um, and Pornsuk and I talk about that as well. Kind of like if you've ever seen Psych, um, where they would they highlight certain clues uh, visually, they do the same thing. Alexander Tefeni and uh, and Pornsik do the same thing here. Whenever uh, Edison Hark notices a clue, uh, also the the colors by Lee Luffridge. It's very it's it's um, it's colored in a very interesting way. There's a lot of sort of monochromatic coloring, like 
you know, pages have, you know, filters where everything on the whole page is in a green hue, everything on the whole page is in a blue hue. Um, but they're not really bright colors, but at the same time, they're primary. And so it definitely gives it that noir feeling. And uh, I think it's spectacular. Uh, there's back matter in the book as well that goes into the, the real true history of the Chinese Exclusion Act and these people being uh, basically locked up if they tried to immigrate to the United States and they would lock them up in this place called Angel Island. And yeah, not, not good things, not something to be proud of, not, a, not something that reflects good on the United States. Um, but the story is fantastic. So a lot of people talked about issue one, about how great it is. Issue two is just as good, if not better. So I do, uh, I do highly recommend it. So, uh, all right, on to the last book Jay's going to talk about. Here we go with Aftershock again. I told you guys, they're just killing it. Uh, Bunny Mask number one, The Chipping of the Teeth. This is from writer Paul Tobin. There's that Andrea Moody guy again, handling the art and the colors, Taylor Esposito on letters. So it's kind of the same creative team as Maniac of New York, except we have Paul Tobin writing instead of Elliot Kalin. And this is another uh, horror book. So uh, kind of a weird one. What did you think, Jay? Well, after the Maniac of New York, I was like, oh, I'm not going to see more of that artwork. And I was like, wait, we still got bunny mask. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just dive into it. But uh, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a great story. Um, the main character is uh, B. Foster and her dad. Uh, the other one is... Uh, it's funny because when you first read, you don't think he's going to be a main character, but I guess he's the uh, foster nurse that's checking in on B. Uh, Tyler uh, Severin, I think it's right. But Tyler is his first yeah. name. Yeah. But he goes to, you know, to see the family. And then that's when, you know, kind of, I guess, all hell breaks loose. You know, there's, there's a lot going on in that, in that house. <laughs> After all the incidents that happened there, it kind of goes and uh, flash forward into. Uh, present day where you know he runs into her again when she's an adult uh but of course you got that character uh bunny mask that never leaves but what i like about the ending was that he didn't even try to the writer just said up front this is what's gonna this is what happened no no hiding this is it and you're like wow okay so we're we're skipping right ahead and we're like we're just gonna let you know what's going on so i love that part i was like okay he's not gonna let you guess what's going on this is what happened it's just a really great ride. I don't want to give away a lot of the story because if I do, that's pretty much it. But you got to pick it up. You got to read it. It's it's a great. It's going to be a fun ride, I think. Yeah, I've I've read other things that Paul Tobin has done, and this it definitely feels like a Paul Tobin story. Um, you know, right in his his wheelhouse, so to speak. And I wasn't. I mean, I'm a big fan of Andrea Moody too. Um, you know, from Maniac of New York to uh, he did the work on on uh, Port of Earth that uh, that Zach Kaplan wrote, and that's really good. And so, but I still wasn't necessarily planning on picking this up because um, I don't know. Like I, I read the solicit and I was like, oh, okay, it sounds kind of weird and out there. And again, knowing Paul Tobin's work tends to be sort of that way. I I don't know. Um, I, I don't know why, but I just, and I love Colder, um, which is the series he did for, uh, for Dark Horse, which, um, <laughs> which has one of the best covers of all time. I've talked about the cover uh, before, uh, where basically this guy sticks his hand like in his mouth, like up between his 
teeth in his upper lip and is like all the way up massaging his own eye. <laughs> it's like the creepiest cover ever. Um, and I really enjoyed that colder series, but I don't know, for whatever reason, this just wasn't really on my radar. And the reason that I ended up reading Bunny Mask was because of you, Jay, like because of how excited you were about it. Like when, uh, when I told you, I think last weekend, or, or it might even been last week after we finished recording, I was like, oh yeah, I already have the preview copies for uh, Bunny Mask for next week. And you're like, oh my God, send it over right now. You were so excited to read it. So oh, I was yeah. like, all right, it's so two things. Your excitement, well, I guess three things. Your excitement, the fact it was Andrew Moody art, and it's Aftershock. And it's like, man, I almost always am going to give an Aftershock book a chance because it's so amazing. And, and but you're right, like, there's no Paul Tobin setting things up or whatever. Like, within the first couple pages, there's action, there's murder, there's blood. Um, he just th kind of throws us in the deep end. And just when we kind of, th I, I start to think, okay, this is an engaging story. It's an interesting mis mystery. It's kind of out there and kooky and super, supernatural and I'm on board. And then there's a twist at the end that like pulls the rug out from under you where you're just like, wait, what? Okay, now, like it was a technically good comic and an interesting story, but now he throws the hook in at the end to really make sure you come back. Um, so fascinating and plus there's all those there's all those years in the middle to fill in like you mentioned it, it jumps forward and we probably don't need to know everything that happened in that time but we need to know some of the stuff like how those characters got from point a to point b um so there's that sort of question that's in addition to the mystery of of what is going on with this bunny mask person and and what is it and who is it and whatnot so yeah, he sucked me in. It, it's it's colder all over again, which that was the same series. I was like, it was that cover, to be honest, is the reason that I, and it, and it was Juan Ferreira art, and Juan Ferreira is an incredible artist. So that's why I was like, eh, I'm going to read the first couple issues, and then just Paul Tobin tractor beamed me in, and I, I read. I think, there were, <laughs> I think there were three different four or six issue uh, minis for colder, and this is in that same vein, like really great art and color. Um, Andrew Moody just he kills it great pacing especially in the lettering from Taylor Esposito so yeah I mean this is just another great book from Aftershock that I expect a lot of people will be talking about tomorrow uh, all right well on to my last book that I'm going to be talking about today it's Geiger number three uh, and this is by Jeff Johns we have art by Gary Frank, the colors are by Brad Anderson, and the letters are by Rob Lee. So this is sort of an interesting issue because we've been getting, and I've talked about this in the past before, about kind of the story structure that Jeff Johns has chosen to use, right? So basically in the first issue of Geiger, there's these two guys walking in the wasteland and the one guy is telling the story of Geiger, of the glowing man, to the other guy. So they're in a random year. Let's say they're in the year 2300, right? He's telling a story that happened in, say, 2025. But sometimes when he's telling the story of 2025, 
he flashes back again to like 2022. So there's the, there's different timelines going on because the guy is, as he's relaying the story of Geiger or Tarek Geiger or the glowing man to his buddy, he's not telling it in a perfectly linear way where he's just saying, this is what happened and this is what happened next. And he's sort of jumping around a little bit. And we did see in the first issue that, uh, that Geiger had attacked these guys, these scavengers who had come near his, his uh, territory and sent them packing. And uh, this kid King, uh, don't, don't know how, I mean, his dad must've been really powerful back in the day because it's just a kid, just a teenage kid. And he somehow wields all this power in the city of Las Vegas which is one of the last radiation-free zones because the world has become this wasteland after nuclear war. Uh, but somehow he does, and he, he commands these people to go out and take care of the glowing man. And then last issue, we saw that the, this, this child king, this child ruler, had been permanently scarred by trying to go out and... Because and, he, he's like take me out to where this guy is and I'll kill him. And I'll, then I'll be even more beloved as the ruler. Um, but we never got to see the battle. We just know that that's what he said. Hey, at the end of issue one, take me out there. Then issue three, we just see that he's, he's damaged. He's or issue two rather. He's, he's, uh, he's wounded, uh, permanently scarred. So this issue three is a bit of a flashback and we finally get to see the battle uh, between Tarek Geiger and this kid King and his savage knights or whatever it is that he, he calls him. Um, and we also see Tarek Geiger meet up at the end of the last issue. We saw him meet up with a couple of kids who, um, whose mother was killed in Vegas and she was trying to save up enough resources to take her kids to another city, another safe hold that's uh, not quite so debauched and uh, quite such a terrible place to raise children. Um, but she, she gets killed because they think that she has a certain piece of equipment that the kid king wants. And so uh, these, two these two children, when they see their mother murdered, they, they run off and they manage to escape. And they end up in, uh, in Geiger's territory. And he thinks about helping them out. But based on what happened with the kid king, he just he doesn't want to he's sort of lost his reason for being. Um, and I, I won't say more than that because I don't want to ruin it, but it's very poignant. It's very emotional. It's very sad. Um, and it may be that running into these two young kids just might, in a way, save Tarek Geiger. This might be exactly what he needs. Um, you know, somebody, he, he's a person who, it feels like needs to be needed. Uh, and I think that's a, a very fascinating type of character to examine. And it's Jeff Johns, who's an incredible writer and it's Gary Frank art. So it's super detailed. And he often works with Brad Anderson as a colorist and Brad definitely brings uh, Gary's art to life. And, and this is just hitting on all cylinders. It's just absolutely fantastic. It's so good. It's so emotional and uh, in a way relatable and just really cool because just this idea that this Tara Geiger is like the one guy in the, in the world, probably because of experimental cancer treatments that he was 
supposed to be uh, having right before the nuclear war happened. He has, and the doses of radiation he got, experimental radiation, that's how he's the one person who can survive out in this nuclear wasteland. Everybody else has to wear a hazmat suit. Um, and yeah, based on what we learned in this issue, he, his days may have been not like, not, not because he, not because he was in danger or threatened by anything, but just because he didn't really have a reason to keep existing anymore. Um, and now maybe with these two kids, he does. So uh, we're, the little teaser for next issue says next, the organ people. And that just sounds scary and terrifying. Just, just that, the organ people. I'm assuming that the organ people doesn't mean it's a bunch of people that sit around playing the organ and singing songs. So I have a feeling it's going to be pretty brutal. Um, based on the story that Johns has been telling and the artwork that uh, we've been getting from Gary Frank. But uh, yeah, really, really spectacular work uh, from the whole creative team. Uh, and I know you read it too, Jay. What were your thoughts on issue three? Like you say, it was just like, really? After all that, you're like, oh, how depressing. Uh, <laughs> that one yeah, panel, you're like, oh, poor, poor guy. guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they kind of explained a little bit more about his weapons and what they do. So I was like, oh, okay. It kind of makes sense now. Yeah. So they kind of, you know, but it was a great story. It's just like, I want, I want more. And then when I got done, I was like, that's it. Like, oh, I got to wait another month now. <laughs> yeah. They're built. Yeah. It, it definitely, that, that's the thing about when Gary Frank or when uh, Jeff Johns works with Gary Frank, because Frank's artwork is so detailed, you want bigger panels to be able to see that detail, but it makes the story feel like it, it's paced a little bit slower than like a normal Jeff Johns story would be. Um, but I, I'm not complaining. It's it's spectacular. This is one of those series where I'm I'm collecting every issue and I'm oftentimes buying more than one cover because there's awesome covers. And then I'm still going to end up getting some kind of a like collected edition hardcover or whatnot um, because I'm going to want it in a nice collected edition to go on my shelf, especially if it's like a black and white edition with Gary Frank's art. Oh, it'd be fantastic. So yeah, really really great series. Uh, all right, well, let me go ahead and read off uh, some of the other books you might want to be on the lookout for. Uh, we covered all the Aftersh <laughs> Aftershock books, all three of them, this week. Um, from Boom Studios, we've got some reprints for the first four issues of the Dune House of Atreides series. So if you've missed out on any of those, uh, you can check those out. Uh, we have issue two of five for Eve, which has been a popular series. Also, the, the Magic the Gathering series has uh, issue three out with uh, like eight different covers. Mighty Morphin from uh, writer Ryan Parrott, uh, issue number eight of that is out uh, over at DC. And again, remember, almost all these DC books you can hear about on our DC Spotlight with spoilers. Uh, the penultimate issue, next to last issue of American Vampire 1976, uh, number nine of 10 is out this week. Uh, the Batman Earth One Volume 3 hardcover, finally, uh, speaking of Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, um, and this is the Earth One different sort of reality or, or multiverse uh, for DC. Uh, I had, uh, we didn't get a preview, press preview copy of that, which was kind of strange. Um, and my copy is coming from DCBS, so I won't get it till the end of the month, but it is finally out. Um, Batman the Detective number three from Tom Taylor, Batman Urban Legends number four, which probably my book of the week is absolutely fantastic, especially the Red Hood and the uh, 
grifter stories were fantastic. Uh, DC Pride number one, big 80 page giant. Um, we didn't cover it. That's one of the books we didn't get a chance to cover in the uh, in the DC spotlight, but we're hoping, uh, Rocky from Comic Boom and I are hoping to cover that this coming weekend. We just didn't have time. Our DC spotlight was already like two hours and 40 minutes. Um, so we didn't have time to cover another 80 page giant. Uh, so we will talk about it at some point, but it's, it's got some great stories. Um, it definitely helps to celebrate uh, Pride Month, you know, celebrating uh, our LGBTQ friends. Uh, and there's plenty of DC characters that uh, fit the bill and they're all interesting and great, great, uh, great stories, great art. Uh, really, really good. I can't wait to talk about it. Far Sector number 12 brings that series to a close. Uh, Detective Comics 1037. Future State Gotham number two is out. Joker number four, which... Uh, Jay mentioned Justice League, The Last Rite, number two, which he also mentioned, as well as myself. Rorschach, number nine of 12. We start to start to see the clues and the story kind of start to fall into place. So we're definitely getting to the point where we're going to be solving the mysteries that have existed in Rorschach. Uh, Wonder Woman, number 773, is out as well. Uh, and there's a Sweet Tooth compendium for, for $59.99. Uh, just in time for the Netflix series of Sweet Tooth. So if you're curious, you can check that out. Uh, over at Image, we've got, or actually before I mention Image, I should mention um, at IDW, there's a Canto 2, the Holloman trade paperback that collects the, the latest volume of, uh, of Canto, if you're a fan of that series. Uh, over at Image, we have Dine number 17. I think that's the next to last issue of that series. I'm I'm behind on that. I've only read like the first eight. So I really need to get caught up because that's a, a fantastic series. Uh, just at first issue, I'm still like, I wish I could, I wish I'd never read the first issue of Die so I could go back and read it again and experience it again for the first time. That's how good it is. Uh, we've got a, Oblivion Song by Kirkman and D. Felicia up to number 31 uh, over at Marvel. Again, we didn't get our Marvel books in time, but uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 68 is out. Uh, Black Widow number six is getting a second printing uh, with a couple of new different covers. Uh, Children of the Atom number four from writer Vita Ayala. Uh, Excalibur number 21. That's also the Hellfire Gala event that's going on right now with X-Men. Uh, Heroes Reborn number six of seven. This is a weekly event. I can't believe we're almost done with it. And thank God, it really hasn't been that great. Uh, but we're already on the next to last issue of the main series. And then we've got, uh, for tie-ins this week, we've got uh, Heroes Reborn Night Gwen, number one, and Heroes Reborn Squadron Savage, number one. Uh, Iron Man, number nine, is a solo story uh, about Korvac from writer Christopher Cantwell. Looking forward to reading that. Uh, and then the Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters, event continues in Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 13. Uh, Strange Academy number 11. There's a new Web of Spider-Man series starting. It's a, a limited series number one of five. And this was solicited a long time ago and got pushed back because of COVID. It's finally making its debut. And then X-Men number 21, another of those uh, uh, Hellfire Gala series uh, comes out as well. So uh, and that's it. So again, uh, it's kind of a lighter week, um, not a ton of books, which 
uh, my wallet appreciates. And uh, it worked out kind of, it worked out kind of well, to be honest, because uh, I've been so busy with the day job. I don't know that I would have had time to read a bunch more books. Um, so it's, it's nice. I mean, there are, again, it's a smaller week, but there are some really, really great titles. Geiger is fantastic. All the Aftershock books are good. Um, the, those DC books I mentioned are, are must reads, especially Batman Urban Legends and Justice League Last Ride. So yeah, tons, tons of great stuff as always. And uh, like I said, a bit of a, a lighter week. So uh, any last thoughts before we wrap it up, Jay? Oh, no, I was going to say, I guess my book of the week would probably be uh, The Last Maniac in New York, but I think Buddy Mask is right behind it too, though. <laughs> yeah, Buddy Mask is, that twist at the end, man, fantastic. I hope it, oh, yeah. uh, I hope we've piqued all of your curiosity about that twist and you uh, decide to pick up Bunny Mask. There's a lot of covers, too. Um, look really, really cool, so you'll have your pick. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, sorry if the audio quality is not quite what you're used to. should be back to normal next week. So, uh, as always, we want to thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.